Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. This week in cricket time, there's so many one-day leagues going on around the world, T20 leagues, I should say, going on around the world. We've lost track. So tonight's episode is focusing a little bit on New Zealand, Pakistan, some domestic news and notes from here in New Zealand, and Baldy's got one to watch as well in the world of women's cricket. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. So, boys... As I said in the intro, we've got a league going on in Dubai. We've got the Super Smash still going on. We've got the Big Bash still going on. We've got the South African T20. We just can't keep up with our franchise cricket at the moment. So we are going to focus a little bit on New Zealand, Pakistan, one day. As we've got quite a few talking points, actually, from the series so far. I'm going to open it up. I think um, the first question on the list is how long before Glenn Phillips is a lock in all three formats for New Zealand? Discuss in less than six minutes. (laughs) Less than six minutes. Okay, well, I want to, maybe we don't even have to count this for for my uh, six minutes, but look, I want to start by just saying it was an awesome series to watch because the, and and just another massive plug for one day cricket. I, I, I know I've talked about this before, it's such a great format because you get to see all the different parts and different skills of cricket. You get to see players going hard at the end. You get to see players that can work it around. I, I, I really think it is a, a real showcase of everything you need to succeed in all facets of the game. And that probably leads to Glenn Phillips, who I put this question in there because I think it's time. I think it's Glenn Phillips' time. Raj, I know you mentioned it a year ago when we were talking about the T20 World Cup. That was obviously just for the T20 World Cup. You thought it was going to be a big year for him. But I think we've got to find a way now to fit him in to all of our formats because, I mean, you look at this third ODI. New Zealand was in a lot of trouble. We were in a situation where we were Conway and Kane had put on a good partnership and suddenly lost a few wickets. Here we go, we're in trouble. Phillips is feeling ill, so Michael Bracewell goes in ahead of him. And suddenly, Phillips just takes the game away from Pakistan. His first ODI 50, which I kind of had to double tape because you sort of see see him as a fixture in white ball cricket now, but that's because we've had so t- so many T20s and he hasn't actually played hardly any ODIs. But yeah, I just think we somehow have to find a way to get him in because there's just so much talent there. Yeah, just going back to what you said about ODI cricket, it's interesting because it does sometimes expose weaknesses or maybe strengths, but in our case, weaknesses. Definitely in that sort of middle-order consolidation period, we really struggled there in Pakistan against their slower bowlers. Uh, but, yeah, Glenn Phillips, what uh, what a player. He came out and he played with some real freedom, which I think was the key. He went out there, he hit the ball in the air, he hit the ball hard, but he hit gaps and he played cricket shots. He wasn't uh, trying to scoop every second ball or do anything like that. He actually backed his talent and, and played really well, and he, he brought us home. What, what what do you guys think his position in the batting order is across those three different formats? A pretty explosive player. I think in that last ODI came in, I think at six or seven for, for his run. So kind of, I know we often refer to it as the Michael Bevan role. We might need another uh, descriptor for it with the amount of power these guys have got now. But is it going to be consistent where he kind of slots into the lineup if he does get the opportunity across all three formats? So I think it's a little bit different. Obviously, the the three three formats are so distinct these days. I think he's probably a five or six in Test cricket. Uh, he could open the batting or bat at four in the in the one day game. And in the the twenty twenty game again, there's the option to open. But we've got some explosive talent there. He's one of those guys where we don't 
we've talked about this before. We don't necessarily want Devin Conway and Kane Williamson batting together in the 2020 game. Mm. Uh, it's one of those ones where maybe whichever one of those openers gets out, you switch in mm. uh, Phillips or, or Williamson, depending on who's at the crease at the time. So I think that he should remain a fixture in our top order, and he could really do some damage uh, with the red ball as well. Uh, he played the one test, he got a 50, I believe, in mm. that Sydney test where everybody was sick. Um, uh, yeah, definitely the future of our, um, our batting, I think. Yeah, it's a good question though, particularly in the test, because, uh, you know, I, I think I'd actually like to see him, as you say, brought in in the five to six kind of role in the same way that quite a few of our players have come, well, you know, if you think about Mitchell, even someone like Cameron Green is a great example of a younger player who's come in, we talked about this last week of... Ricky Ponting back yeah, in the day. Yeah, that you you kind of get uh, your way into test cricket by batting down the order. And, you know, if you look at the way he plays... He's the kind of guy who can take a game away from the opposition mm. if you're in a great position. I also think he actually does have the skills to kind of bat for longer. And, yeah, potentially that's, you know, he'll develop those as we go. But the point about him is that I really do think that New Zealand have thrown a lot of responsibility at him over the past year or so. They've done it with him. They've done it with Finn Allen in ways that they've said, you know, you're going to be, you know, it's been a huge diet of T20 cricket, but they've put them at the top of the order and, you know, Phillip's now at four and said, look, you guys are really important in this in this format of the game. And I think with Phillips particularly, Finn will have a bit of question about potentially, but Finn, uh, with Phillips, he's taken that responsibility and it's almost made him better. Mm. And that's why I think going into, you know, potentially we're going to have a gap at four. If you look at our last test lineup that played, Nichols is probably the one that's under the most pressure. And I think... He's going to be the one where when this team selection comes out for, for the England summer or for the England summer series, his one is going to be under the most question. I If that happens, I don't want Phillips really to go in at four. I don't, I don't think that's kind of the way to bring him into test cricket. I'm pretty sure when he played, he did bat at six, five or five six, or six yeah. from memory. So, yeah, I don't know. And look, you know, I said to Baldy before the podcast – I haven't sold my Will Young stock. I think he's a another one who's a great chance to come in and kind of take that number four spot if if they decide that Nichols has, you know, it's time for a spell for Henry Nichols. But I don't know. I just, the, Glenn Phillips just gets me excited about what he can become as a cricketer. And, he, you know, at 26 years old, I, I think we just, he's going to be a fixture of for us and, and he just keeps getting better, which is the point that I really wanted to make. Electric in the field as as well. Um, what do you reckon about his bowling? So this can sort of, this is a segue onto other parts of oh, this. Well done. But uh, what do you think of his bowling? And uh, I mean, he was a bit part in the in the series, but he took some very crucial wickets. Yeah, I, I still think he's very much a part-timer. He's, he's obviously worked hard on it. And, you know, if you talk to anyone around the traps, and you know, they talk about how, uh, I think when COVID times, he was someone who was away on, on tours and things at the CPL and, and all of that kind of stuff and just constantly working on his bowling, which is great. Like that's kind of what you want as a as a cricketer, someone because he, that can be really important, particularly if we're thinking about this ODI World Cup, which is sort of the next target for New Zealand. His If he can come in and bowl three or four overs and pick up a wicket in those Indian conditions, that's hugely significant. So yeah, anything he can do. But I, I think, I mean... I'd be very surprised to see him bowling at, at test level or, you know, bowling a 10-over spell in an, in an ODI. That was going to be my question. Is he is he good enough now? He's improved a lot in terms of his spin option. Is he good enough now that he could give you six overs before a new ball on day three and just hold 
for, for five or six overs to give the fast bowlers a break because that's kind of what you want from your sort of number five or six that you can you can get a couple of overs out of them and, and do a bit of a holding role before a new ball or something like that, day three or day four of a test. I think that there's other options for that, mm. uh, to do that role. I don't think we need to do that for him. But what I see as, as something that he has a string to his bow is that he can come in and bowl, bowl 12 balls at a good matchup. So, for example, we knew that we wanted a a ball spinning into Baba Azam mm-hmm. as much as we could this uh, this series, and we got him stumped all three games mm. with those similar balls spinning down the leg side, spinning past the outside edge of the bat, um, and he was able to provide two overs of doing that and either get a wicket or provide a wicket at the other end. Mm. Yeah, and I think probably uh, you know Raj's segue. You're, the thing you're sort of getting at is whether we could play Glenn Phillips at seven in, in a test match. And, or six and, and your keeper at seven. Yeah, and sort of you have him as our all-rounder spot. I don't think we're there yet, and, and that probably leads into the person who currently sort of has that spot, which is Michael Bracewell. And look, he has a lot of detractors. When you, you, know, when you look on social media... He, you know, and even just looking at his stats, you know, I, I think I pulled them out. His bowling average is 46 in tests, 37 in ODIs, and actually a stunning 9.8 in T20s. Um, That's reasonable. And he's in a, you know, he's in the early stages of his career. And, and I think anybody who looked at him when he first started at uh, international level probably thought he's a part-time off-spinner. And I, and I I shared that opinion. You know, he, he's been someone who's been developing in the first-class game, has you know worked on his game, has some of the tools that I think are, are really valuable. He can spin the ball. He has you know been working on improving that action and consistency. But I wanted to give him a massive shout out because I really think that he's it's an, it's not easy to learn and develop at international level. And I think across the twelve months that he's played for New Zealand, his bowling has improved out of sight. He got to the point where he was bowling really, really important overs in that test series. By the end of that series, he was bowling more than AJ's Patel. You know, whether that's the right call or not, you know, you guys can be the judge. But he's he was the most consistent of our bowlers. He's carried that on into the ODIs where he's just hitting line and length every single ball. Now, he doesn't bowl the bad balls that he used to bowl. And, yeah, I think he really deserves a lot of credit for that. Whether he's going to be a player that can play and fill that all-rounder role here in New Zealand and sort of bowl significant overs, I don't know. But, yeah, I really think you've got to, you've got to pump up his tyres a little bit because it's so hard to learn at test level. Well, and, and especially a series in Pakistan where, you know, historically spinners have done well. There was an expectation on him and he went past Ajaz in terms of the thinking of the captain, as you mentioned, during that series. And I think the likelihood is that New Zealand at home don't often or don't always play a, a frontline spinner. So he's probably given himself that um, that opportunity. You, you mentioned Finn Allen um, earlier on. Any worries about him? He was, you know, the, the, the next best thing um, and maybe hasn't fired as much as some of the other guys through the course of course of the winter so far or the summer so far. Just just before we move on to that, I just wanted to say something about Michael Bracewell. Um, I'm actually starting to come around on him a little bit. Oh, very good. Um, and those numbers that you just rattled off around his averages, if that's his basement average, that's the lowest it's going to be in his career. I'll take it every day of the week if the way he can bat. Um, yeah, I'm 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 happy with that. Uh, the the question that I have is how do we fit Santner him 
uh, Santon and Bracewell and, and Sodi in a lineup. Uh, and if that, I don't want that answered, but that's just a question uh, that I have. From a Finalen perspective, no, I've got no problems with um, with Finalen. I've got no worries about him. He's obviously thinking very carefully about how he is approaching each of his innings because you can see his approach to it being completely different, the way he's mm-hmm. trying to strike the ball. Uh, I think having those different dimensions, that's something that we've kind of lost from cricket across all three formats. The one who probably does it the best at the moment for me outside that sort of, you know, top four or five is David Warner. Mm-hmm. He's probably the first picked in a lot of sides uh, across all three formats in international cricket. Um, but th- that art has been lost. And I think Finnell actually has the ability to do that, to mm-hmm. play differently and play well across all three of those formats. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And um, your point about him playing differently is sort of why I'm not worried about him at all, and, and in, yeah, in some ways encouraged. It's it's weird because he's 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 definitely fighting some. You can see that he's fighting some urges to just smash every ball out of the park in those one days because you know his every his strike rate in those one days across his career, which is obviously still a small career, but it's under a hundred, which you know is it's still not slow. It's about ninety something, which is you know very good for for ODI cricket still, but. He's a player that you sort of you think about him and you think about him smashing it all around the park, and he's 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 having his struggles. But I think New Zealand cricket has said this is a guy we've invested in, and in the same way that I just mentioned about Bracewell, he's having to learn at international level, and and that's not an easy thing to do. And people just expect that you can kind of stroll in and that you if you don't if you fail there, then you you know you've failed as a cricketer or you know that it, you haven't worked there, but. You know, you look at some of these guys in that England side that have been brought back, like a Zach Crawley, and, the, you know, some players have the talent and you just have to figure out how to harness it. And New Zealand have said, Finn Allen, we believe in you and we're going to play you in all of these games. And, you know, we might get to the ODI World Cup and decide, actually, he hasn't really kicked on. We've given him eight months or whatever and it hasn't worked. And I actually think for New Zealand that's not a huge drama because we've we've got a few other options that we could kind of slot up there if we really needed to. So... Yeah, I think it's worth persevering with him. And, I mean, you know, he was looking all right in that last ODI. Got run out, you know, amazing uh, by the subfielder, I think. Amazing run out. He's looked like he has the tools. Uh, you know, he just hasn't really kicked on as much as you might have liked. But I think he's got four fifties from 13 innings or something like that. So, you know, he's played some important innings for, for New Zealand. And, yeah, he's going to have to kick on. But for now, I'm, I'm very comfortable with what they're doing. Well, guys, let's try and inject a little bit of controversy or conjecture into the podcast. We can't all sing cricketing kumbaya. So we agree on Glenn Phillips. We agree on Bryce. Well, we agree on Finn Allen. Um, The squad for the India T20s has been announced. I guess my question from an outside perspective, when we talk about needing that bench strength and that depth now to play three formats all around the world, are there any concerns with the guys that you've brought into that squad around uh, the depth of the talent pool for uh, for New Zealand leading into those India T20s? Yeah, it's. I think it's a great question because... I had, a, I had a similar thought really around, I mean, Ben Lister, and, and no disrespect to him, he's, you know, he's played, uh, he's had a couple of good years for New Zealand, made his way into the New Zealand A side, averages about 25 uh, in first class cricket, 35 in list A, 27 in T20s with sort of, you know, a wicket a match. But I, I sort of look at him and think, you know, we're looking for a Trent Bolt replacement. We're looking for, you know, Neil Wagner replacement. We're looking for a left arm. I, I think the only reason Ben Lister is, 
in the squad over some other players is probably because he's a left arm bolt seamer. That's you know that that's still important. You know we want we want some variety in our squad, but I think what I want from this T Twenty series and and the ODI series is actually to see some of these guys play because we've seen in the Pakistan series how we played Henry Shipley in the first game. He, you know, wasn't really the conditions for him. I don't, I don't think he did a huge amount wrong. Obviously got a good nut first ball again from Nassim Shah. He's looked really good in domestic cricket yeah. as well. He's a, a big step up, but he is the head of the pack, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so, look, I mean, Shipley's in these squads, one day and T20 squads for, for um, the India series. I hope there are some conditions where he can actually play. I, I hope we get to see Lister play in one of these T20s because this India squad particularly for the ODIs, is extremely strong. That's, you know, Coley and Sharma and, and all of those guys. The T20 is more of a, uh, it's certainly a development-ish squad for New Zealand in terms of some of those guys that you've mentioned, you know, the likes of Lister, Shipley, you know, Dane Cleaver's in there as someone who, uh, you know, has been in and around the squad. I, yeah, As I said, I'm not so worried, as I said last week, I'm not so worried about the bench strength for New Zealand in a lot of areas. The seam bowling is probably the one where I'd like to see some of these guys tested and, and actually find out. You know, we you think about, there's still a few that are on the shelf. You know, Kyle Jamieson, we've got uh, Ben Sears, who's not over there injured, Adam Milne, you know, M- Matt Henry. Some of these guys haven't been playing because of injuries. So I think there's still those numbers. But yeah, I'd like to see some of these guys play because look, if they can go over there and play and show at that level that they can perform which is actually what a lot of New Zealand players that have come in and done. You know, thinking about someone like Jacob Duffy, who'd been a very consistent ODI or, you know, first-class player here in New Zealand, stepped up to the international, did not look out of place at all. He's not someone who runs in bowls, you know, 100 miles an hour, but he's done a very consistent job and, and looked very good. So I hope Lister can do the same, but when names like that come up and they're not, you know, names that everyone is familiar with, all those questions about depth start to start to pop up. We mentioned in that little um, segment Varak Kohli um, in that one-day squad for India, tearing up trees at the moment against Sri Lanka. I know, Raj, you'd be excited to talk a little bit, Virat Kohli. A couple of hundreds. Yeah, actually three hundreds in his last four ODIs. So um, he's he's starting to starting to look like Kohli of old. I think if we had a look at those first 200s, they were probably, if you can say scratchy, at 100 at ODI level was <laughs> scratchy. They looked scratchy. I think uh, Baldy, Binksy and I watched the highlights of the, the, the 100 that he scored, the 113 he scored. Uh, he was dropped a couple of times. Mm. It wasn't really, it was, it was mainly accumulating. Uh, but this this 100, the 166 he got in the... Uh, the third ODI against Sri Lanka was was something to behold. He was on about 82 or 80, early 80s, uh, with about 10 overs to go and ended up on 166. Incredible. So he scored 80 runs on his own there in, in the last 10, and he looked every bit um, as you know back to his, his best, to be honest, um, which is very scary considering the ODI World Cup is in India as well, and he seems to be batting really well in India. So, yeah, everyone's on notice. Well, and, and, you know, it's good, like I said, it's going to be a huge test for for New Zealand. We've, you know, Tim Southey and Kane Williamson got, gone home to prepare for the England England Test Series. We've obviously viewed that as, as more important. And, and I think actually we've viewed it as an opportunity to give some of these other guys some some games and, and some more responsibility. And I think, you know, like I said, Phillips and, and uh, Finn Allen, Latham, these guys, Conway, 
you, you go through that and you think, oh, well, and Mitchell, it's still going to be the same kind of players. But I think the Southie one is not having Southie kind of makes Lockie, you know, potentially our, our, the leader of our attack. And that's really, I think, quite exciting because he bowled really well in Pakistan and he's going to be someone who's going to be important in India. So, mm. you know, making that is, is huge. And then all of these other guys getting them opportunities. So, yeah, big series I, 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 for us. I just think that the Lockie Ferguson that we see is going to be incredibly talismanic for New Zealand when it comes to the World Cup because you know you're going to ha- you know what you're going to get from all those other players but we don't really know what we're going to get from Lockie Ferguson in that World Cup and if we see something great for him there I'm not going to say there's no ceiling for New Zealand's performances in that tournament but I think Lockie Ferguson is going to be a real bellwether for New Zealand in that tournament because if he can rip out sides bowling 145 plus and really put a cat amongst some pigeons from from that point of view New Zealand give themselves a big chance of, of chasing down scores with all of that batting talent that they have. So I think not as as he goes, New Zealand go, but he's going to be so important to your chances in the World Cup. If he can perform well on this tour, it's going to be huge for you guys. Well, let's let's move now. You know, you guys are talking about the the next tier down. Let's move to some domestic stuff here in New Zealand because the, there's you mentioned the Super Smash going on. It's sort of, we had the, the Super Smash window, I guess, over the, the uh, holiday season. It's now moved back into weekends, uh, you know, Super Smash and Ford Trophy in the middle. And uh, I'm kind of being a bit of a homer here, but I wanted to sort of talk about some of the players that have been uh, sort of in the news and, and first-class uh, stuff here for New Zealand and um, really highlight a lot of the East Coast Bay's uh, alumni here because... It's been a big week for them, and um, you know we've had Colbrig scoring fifty for Auckland. Uh, Binksy mentioned his forty odd the, the other the other day for Auckland the Super Smash, up the top of the order, starting to to show what he can do. But I think the the real one to highlight is actually Brad Schmulian because Raj and I have talked offline. You know, listeners to the some listeners to the show will know. You know, we've played played a bit of cricket with Brad. You're chairman of his fan club, I believe. <laughs> so you know, we know him reasonably well, but. It's actually getting to the point where he he's deserving a, a, a New Zealand A call up or something like this. He's stacking up the runs. I think he's in the top ten in the first class uh, in the Plunkett Shield run scorers at the moment. I'm pretty sure he's now maybe maybe might even be first in the the Ford Trophy after an, an eighty earlier in the week and then a ninety three today. I'm sure he'd be very disappointed. Chip one to mid off after uh, after after getting to ninety three game in hand. Ben Smith scored a big hundred and forty odd for for CD as well as they chase down ND score but yeah you know he's really putting up the runs and he's improved he's improved out of sight when you watch him from you know when we knew him 10 years ago playing playing at that level yeah the, the massive differences for me are just his his consistency in, in run scoring and the way that he's actually able to build an innings he's been betting at like three mm. four uh, central districts and he opened the betting a, a few times as well but the way that he can accumulate runs quite quite quickly I I was talking to Binksy a little bit about Joe Root when he used to play uh, one-day cricket, and Joe Root, you'd you know, he'd had started his innings, and then boom, you'd look up, and he was on 42 or 43 balls, uh, just like that. Brad's doing a great job, sort of emulating that. Obviously, not to the same extent, but he is able to score runs without much hassle. And one of the big things that we used to go on about is that he had a massive scoring area between gully and first slip, and and that's no longer <laughs> the case. He's actually playing he does all. Still score a few he, does, he does, but he's scoring all the way all around the rat wagon wheel and he's actually playing uh, really good off the back foot yep, uh, to the well. leg side he's putting those short balls away so look 
He's probably got to be on some people's radars. Look, he's averaging over 40 in, in um, first-class cricket and in list A cricket. So, yeah, I, I'm sure that you know the, the New Zealand selectors, if they're thinking about those New Zealand A squads, he's got to be someone who's in the mix because he's up the top of those charts. Can I can I just put another... I mean, we know he's on your radar, Stu, because you <laughs> spoke to him earlier in the season, but Dean Foxtrot is having a really good year for Otago. Uh, I watched the highlights of a game the other day. He took, I think, four catches, took yeah. three at first slip and then one in the outfield. Wasn't that an amazing kind of game where he's they've thrown him in at first slip? He's take, you know, in a T20 game, he's thrown him in at first slip and he's taken a catch almost immediately, I mm. think. And then, you know, suddenly he's taken three catches at slip. Mm. Yeah, took another one on the boundary and then actually dropped, dropped one. Dropped the easiest the one. The easiest one on the boundary that I think would have given him some sort of record for, yeah. for catches, Incredible. outfield catches. He's in the runs, he's in the wickets, he's taking catches all over the place. I mean, he's probably also on New Zealand's radar now, right? Oh, I mean, How when's his qualification period come back? I think that's the concern, right? I think it's going to be a while. Because from, from because he was in South Africa because for so long Africa, from COVID, so, yep. yeah, yeah, that's a, a, that's a real shame. It's a shame because uh, yeah, I think I mean he'd he'd probably be someone who's sort of in on the edge of edge of squad white ball squads at the moment. But uh, mm. you see him talk and you hear about you you know even when he talked to to me earlier in the season and he talks about wanting to put in the yards at first class cricket as well and score big runs at with mm. the red ball and you know be an all format player. So yeah, let's hope he can. Play for three years here for you know, for Otago or whatever, however long it's going to take. Mm. Stack up those runs and then come and be the next Devin Conway once he once he moves on. Speaking of fan clubs, I know you're you. Ho- I think you hold all the Will Young stock now. Is that right? You've got all quite of everyone. Quite yeah. a bit of Will Young stock. So the balls that he hit in the T20 at the outer oval the other week are they still going down Sandringham Road? The three or four sixes that he that he hit in that game. Yeah, maybe East Coast Bay is not their finest moment of the week when uh, when Louis Dalport bowled. Got the wicket though. Did get the wicket. Yeah, and bought the uh, wicket at a hefty price. Yeah, thirty off the over. Jeez, and he should have. That last ball for six, that was the worst of worst of the, the deliveries. The Joe Root bouncer. Yeah, the, the spin bowling bouncer. Brilliant. Mm. But, oh, I mean, look, I think Will Young, when you actually, you know, he's come off the plane from Pakistan, hasn't played any cricket, comes off the plane, and he's been hitting it unbelievably well. And it probably shows maybe he should be over there and those, you know, ahead of some of these other guys and mm. actually getting a shot at, mm. at um, the white ball cricket just as well. For, just for viewers who, who won't know the backstory, Will Young hit five sixes in five balls. So he was on for six sixes in an over. Scotty Stevenson and the commentary team were beside themselves with excitement. A former East Coast Blaze player, left-arm spinner. Current has East Coast Blaze player. Wow. Occasional um, <laughs> drags it down half tracker. It was it was it a bouncer or did he yeah, drag? It was a bouncer. Okay, all right. It was it, it was a bouncer. It should have gone for six. It should have gone up to the top stand of the main stadium and potentially into the main into the main ground. But he was caught, unfortunately, going for the sixth six and an over. But incredible viewing, very exciting to watch. But uh, yeah, as you say, yeah, he hitting it so cleanly. The, the one over cover, my favorite. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful stuff. I think we, you know, if we're on the New Zealand domestic stuff, we probably should also mention the Wellington Blaze. You know, amazing. You know, I think we've talked about every time we we talk about uh, the women's Super Smash, we talk about how good the Blaze are. No matter who really plays in any of these games, who's available, whatever, they've broken their own record for you know number of Super Smash games without a lot, you know, consecutive wins, seventeen now. Hard to see them not just continuing that, and um, you know the magicians might might give them a shot in this uh, in this series. But yeah, that they're an amazing side, and it doesn't really seem to matter who puts on that blaze shirt, and they just they just keep winning. Well, for any Australian listeners that have tuned in to the podcast, we are going to finish 
on an Australian note. As you'll know, Bordy's got his little black book of players to watch. Mm. Bordy, you want to give us a little a, a little well, shout out and yeah. make the Australians happy? Oh yeah, the production line of of outstanding Australian women's batters has just churned out another another player, Phoebe Litchfield. Now you might remember, I think I can't remember if it was on air, but she came into my little back book a couple of years ago when she made her debut. Uh, for BBL as a, I think, 15 or 16-year-old, um, just an incredible talent, made her ODI debut uh, yesterday in Brisbane against Pakistan, opened the batting to replace Alyssa Healy, big shoes to fill, uh, player of the match performance, 78 not out off 92 balls, including hitting the winning runs, put on 100 with Meg Lanning, who's come back into the Australian side after a, after a six-month sabbatical away from cricket. So, you know, Australian women just find another player to step up and, and produce at a very very, very high level. Phoebe Litchfield is only 19 years of age. She is an enormous talent and she will be a um, an incredible player to watch for Australia to come. And they're going to have to find a way to, to slot her into the side. I don't know how they're going to do it when Alyssa Healy comes back. On if you if you want to talk Australia, I did get some footage of Patrick uh, of your man Dooley the other the other day, and uh, yeah, I did have to, I did end up watching quite a few more videos of him bowling. Just the, the celebrations or the action? the celebrations, the action, the the way the ball was spinning, just absolutely delightful. Isn't, isn't it an entertaining spectacle? It, it won't make me watch any of the Big Bash, but mm. I will continue to search for. His did your did your screen crack a little bit and <laughs> to start to destroy itself? Oh, it's I just did enjoy incredible. it. The windmill, the the arms, the arms. You know, the, the first thing I saw was the arms, and I was in. I was in from that <laughs> from that moment. Here, here, here it is. I'm in. Yeah. Well, guys, on that note, I think it's time to leave the, the podcast uh, when we got that going into our YouTube search bar. Uh, but look, been a pleasure to talk some domestic cricket here in New Zealand. Of course, we're only um, hopefully at the beginning of the summer in terms of the weather. Um, hoping for a lot more sunshine over the course of February and March as we welcome Test cricket as well back to the shores after Christmas. But for now, it is good night from us here on the Top Order podcast. You'll see Cricketing Hall of Fame in your feed very, very shortly, if not already. Uh, so listen out for that as we come to the end of Baldy's Labour of Love, counting down number seven to five, and then we'll have uh, the top four um, episodes as well over the course of the next few weeks as well. But for now, good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. We'll see you soon on the Top Order podcast. Good night. <laughs>